0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining me this week as we discuss the power of the Parsha. This week's Parsha is Parsha Shoftim. Judges and police shall you put in all your your gates. Boom, and we got the fire alarm going off again. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Just keeping track of everything. So this week's tower portion, when the conversation on a national level is debating the pros and cons of uh, defund the police or not defund the police... The bottom line is, right now, we've got the Torah telling you that you shall have shoftim, which is judges, vishotrim, and policemen in all your cities. Because there's a recognition that without the protection of the police and the enforcement of the police, uh, there can be some serious, serious crises, as we indeed are seeing right now in many cities across the nation, where which have started the process of defunding and are seeing murder and all sorts of other violent crime, as well as petty crimes, uh, larceny, grand larceny, on the rise. So, who do you call? You call Chase and Rubble on the double, if you're into Paw Patrol. (laughs) But otherwise, you call the Shoftim Bishotrim, the police and the judges that the Torah says, you really should have a strong force uh, protecting your cities. Now, what I want to talk about today, primarily, is I want to talk about a very interesting passage in this week's Parsha. And this is where we get sort of the power of Rabbinic Judaism from, okay? So when I say Rabbinic Judaism, there's only one Judaism, there's Judaism. But the power of the rabbis and their their ability to have an authority comes from this week's Parsha. The exact uh, language is like this. It's in Deuteronomy, chapter 17, verses 11 and 12. It says, According to the Torah, Oh, wait, I didn't do all the... Did I thank you all for coming out? I don't think so. Thank you all for coming out. Thank you for the amazing staff of Yeshiva Beth Yehudah and Partners Detroit for allowing this to happen on a regular basis. And thank you to the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app. It's a website. It's got tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours of incredible Torah content. You can also catch this as a uh, podcast called Burnham on the Parsha, and it can be found on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and wherever else you get your podcast, if you so happen to get your podcast. Now, um, we are talking now the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, so again, the Torah says, Al Torah, asher yeruchah, according to the Torah, the instructions, the word Torah means instructions, according to the instructions that they will teach you, Vala asher yom r'luchah. and according to the statutes that they will say to you, ta'aseh, you shall do. Lo min ha-davar asher l'cha You shall not sway. You shall not leave what they are telling you to do uh, right or left. I believe I am recording. You know, I'm on my phone right now. Okay, whatever it is. I've got the Zoom and I've got a video camera. The Zoom is on my phone, so that's what happens when I can't get into the Internet. In the building over here, all righty. So either we're recording or we're not. Now, so again, it says, according to the Torah that they teach you, you shall not sway from the matter that they teach you, left or right. Now Rashi, on that, points out a very interesting language. He says like this. Here it is. Oh, actually, the verse before that, the verse before that also in terms of context, (laughs) it's talking about the great Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. And it says, And you will do as they teach you from that place, i.e. from the Supreme Court of Israel, from the Sanhedrin, which is found on the Temple Mount. Um, You should be very careful to do whatever they teach you. Now when it says, You shall follow their words, do not sway to the left or to the right. Says Rashi, quoting the Sifrii according to the mean? even if the rabbi tells you that your left is your right and your right is your left, then you should still listen to him. And for sure, if he tells you that right is right and left is left. So again, here it's, it, it seems to be the Torah is telling you even if the rabbi tells you to do something that you know is patently wrong, right? he's telling you that right is left and left is right, you should listen to him. Okay, now... There are there is much ink spilled on this and this is actually a um a bone that ends up being picked and really helping to define what Judaism is. So I want to this is a very very fundamental piece and I want to go through a few of the sources, the original, the Rishonim, the early commentators on this. Maimonides, the great Maimonides, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, he says the High Court in Jerusalem is the main place, is the main flowing source of Torah Shabbal Peh, of the verbal Torah. Again, we have the written Torah, which is the books, the books of the books of the Scripture, and then we have Torah Shabbal Peh, which we've spoken about in previous weeks, is the the uh, the written, the uh, oral law, and the heart of the oral law is Jerusalem, Veheim Amude and the people in the Great Sanhedrin. They are the pillars of deciding halacha umehem chok umishpat yotze lechol Yisrael, from them goes the law out to all the Jewish people. And the Torah had trust in them. And that's why the Torah says, whatever they say to you, God is saying, I have faith in the people that are going to be in that court, and you follow whatever they say. And whoever believes, continues Maimonides, who, so if you believe in Moshe Rabbeinu and his Torah, must be willing to uh, rely upon that court, the, 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 the Sanhedrin, the big court of the Jewish people standing in the base of Megdash to determine what the law is and to lean on them. Okay. And then he goes on. Okay. Now, Nachmanides another famous early commentator. He wants to focus a little bit more on the right is left, the left is right. And he says, we say that when it says they should, you shall follow whatever they say, do not sway from what they tell you, right or left, even if they tell you right is left and left is right. So he says something fascinating. He says, even if you're confident that they are wrong, okay, even if you're confident that the rabbis are wrong, you you know that, you know which hand of yours is right, and you know which one of your hands is left, right, that you're pretty confident of, so when they tell you that your right hand is your left hand, and your left hand is your right hand, you know that they're wrong, he says, doesn't make a difference, do like they teach you anyway, and don't say, how could I eat this forbidden substance, right, they're telling me to eat this cheeseburger, and I know they're claiming something about it, soy or whatever. I don't know. It's a cheeseburger. I'm looking at it. And they're telling me, no, you can eat it. How could I eat it? They're telling me to eat a cheeseburger. You've got to trust them. Even if it gets to a point where there's a capital punishment case, and they're ruling, and you're pretty confident that they're getting it wrong, and you're the executioner, or whatever it is, like is, you've got to follow the words of this court. And he explains the following... He says when you when you follow the words of the rabbis and you're eating what appears to be a cheeseburger, okay? Now, again, the rabbi is telling you this cheese wasn't really cheese, maybe it's soy, but to you, you don't know about, you. like that you were dropped in here from 10,000 years ago, there's no such thing, not 10,000, uh, a, a 1,000 years ago, there's no such thing as soy cheese back then, you see they're taking cheese, they're putting on a cheeseburger, and the rabbi's standing there, he's saying, it's okay, it's okay. And he's like, don't worry, it's not really meat and milk together, and you're like, this is crazy, they're eating meat and milk, right? Or even, let's say, for example, the rabbi gives you a cheeseburger, says, here, eat this, eat this, it's good, it's kosher. Right? Now again, we're going to talk about what kind of rabbis we're talking about. That's a very, very important component. Very, 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 very important component. What kind of rabbi uh, gains this level of faith and what kind of rabbi does not? Because that's an important conversation. However, you should follow through. Now listen to this amazing story, just to show you what it means. And the the, the Ramban says, Nachman says, even if... They're telling you to do something you know is so clearly wrong. The same way that you know you're right and you're left, you follow through and you say, this is what God commanded me. God commanded me to listen to the rabbis, the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. And the reason explains Nachmanides for this is because the Torah was written down and there's going to be many different interpretations of it throughout the ages that we recognize that as different people analyze the same text, you're going to have many different understandings of the same ideas, Right? And the problem is the Torah is going to end up being a thousand different Torahs because each rabbi is going to rule a different way. Therefore we go by the rule of the Sanhedrin and even if God forbid they made a mistake it's better, there's a net benefit for the Torah that we all eat a cheeseburger right? or we all eat something that's possibly not kosher and we follow, and we have one Torah for the Jewish people, rather than each person do, each enough, Each person does whatever they feel is right, in which case we lose the entirety of Torah and Judaism, and we have no sense of, of, of regularity, and no sense of realism anymore. Let me tell you an amazing story. One of the greatest sages, one of the greatest sages to live in the last millennia, undoubtedly, was the Vilna Gon. The Vilna Gon... Rabbi Elio Kramer, who lived in Lithuania, he was a very humble man. And, and the amazing thing is, he actually, he lived in Vilna. Everyone knows this, that's, what he's <laughs> that's kind of why he's called the Vilnagon. He lived in Vilna. But he was not the chief rabbi of Vilna. Now a few doors down from him, there lived a tailor who was a very, very poor man. And one week, he scraped together enough money to buy a chicken for Shabbos. <laughs> wow, it's going to be a party this week. We've got chicken, which again, and this is a true story, by the way, which just shows you the wealth that we have. In the times of the Vilna Gone, there was a tailor who, when he had enough money to scrape together and buy a single chicken for Shabbos, the whole household was like, it was like incredible. No way. This week we're having chicken for Shabbos. They were like, it was, it was incredible. The whole family was so happy. Everyone's running around, bustling around. Tonight's going to be a special Shabbos dinner, a special Shabbos dinner. We're having, we're having we're having, are having, we're having some meat. We're going to have some real, some real chicken at the dinner. Wow! Everyone's so excited. And in the middle of all the chaos and the preparations, the wife, by mistake, puts a milk a, 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 a milk uh, spoon, into the pot with the chicken. Hoo, 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 all kinds of questions. Now, all kinds of questions. What is the status of the milk uh, spoon? When was the last time it was used? How clean is it? How cold was the stuff in the pot? How hot was the stuff in the pot? How much was in the pot? So on and so forth. And the husband, as soon as the whole house, is like, oh my gosh, because if it's not kosher, it's not kosher, I got to throw it out, right? they got to throw out the entire uh, chicken soup, you know, chicken and chicken soup and whatever it was. And they were so looking forward to it. But halacha is halacha, and they're ready to do what they got to do. So the husband says, quickly, I'm going to go and ask the rabbi. I'm going to go ask the, I'm gonna ask the chief rabbi of, our, of Vilna. I'm going to go ask the, 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 the posik. So he goes out. But his wife is, is looking at the sun rapidly setting across the horizon. And she's like, by the time my husband gets back from the rabbi, the rabbi's on the other side of town, it may be too late, and I'm not going to have time to cook. So even if he comes back and says it's okay... By the time he gets back, I may not have time to cook this food. So let me just... I, the Vilna lives a few doors over, and he may not be the rabbi of the town, right? He's not the posik of the town, he's not the halachic authority of the town, but he's one of the greatest tzaddikim in the world, one of the greatest hamid chachamim in the world, one of the greatest, most learned scholars in the world. Let me go ask him. So the wife leaves, and she goes a couple doors over to the to the Vilna Gon, and the vil- Vilna Gon asks her all kinds of questions, and he says... You, you you can't eat the chicken soup. Yeah, you can't eat the chicken. You got You got to you got to spill it out. Oh, what a devastating ruling. Okay, but the rabbi said the rabbi said she goes home. She picks up the chicken soup, the, the pot with the chicken and the vegetables and everything, and she's about to go and spill it outside. And as she's opening the door, her husband comes running in. Honey, it's amazing. Don't worry. The rabbi said it's okay. The rabbi said it's okay. Uh oh. Ooh, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? The vilna Gaon said, not okay. The official rabbi of the town, the town postage, said it's okay. So they're really in an uncomfortable place. So the husband says, I'm going to run back. You, you just can let it keep cooking on the fire so it'll be ready for Shabbos. But I'm going to go run back to the rabbi and ask him what to do. I'll tell him straight up, like, we asked you. You said we should throw it out. We asked the vilna He said we should not. Uh, sorry, no, sorry. I, I asked you, you said we can keep it. We asked the Vilna Gon, he said we should throw it out. What should we do? So the man goes back running to the rabbi, and he says, Rabbi, Rabbi, what should we do? I, you know, you came, I came, I presented the question to you, and you said that it's kosher, but my wife at the same time, not thinking I would have enough time to get back, she went to the Vilna Gon, and he said it's not okay. What did the rabbi say? The rabbi said, don't worry. I am the ruler, of I am the, the halachic authority of this town. I rule that it's okay. Go back home and tell your wife that the Vilna and I will come to have a little bit of the uh, chicken tonight. Right? We're going to come together to have a little bit of the chicken tonight. Okay. So the guy goes home. He says, honey, you're not going to believe it. Not only did the rabbi say it's kosher, and he's holding firm with his being kosher, he said he is going to come to our Shabbos table with the fil of the go gong, and they're going to have some chicken with us. Okay, what an honor. So they take out whatever their best silverware, or whatever it was. They didn't have much, obviously. They're trying to just scrape around to get chicken for Shabbos occasionally. They, whatever their best stuff was, they, they put it out, they set the table. And they start... Kiddush. In the meantime, the Rav of the town, the one who was the halachic ruler of this city, the one who was, not the Vilnagon, he goes to the Vilnagon and he says, look, Rabbi Elio Kramer, you know and I know and everybody knows that your Torah knowledge far eclipses mine and I would never even claim that I have a, a, a tenth of your brilliance and your Torah knowledge. However, I am the Rav of this city. And if we go against my ruling and and, and and people say, well, the rub of the town said X, but the Vilnagon said Y, so we follow the Vilnagon, then I, you will have cut me off at the knees and I will be able to not have any effect on my community anymore. And let's remember that the Torah says, Al pi'a Torah whatever the rabbis tell you, you shall not turn left or right, even if what they tell you is wrong. The halacha that the Rav poskins is the halacha. Now, mind you, the rabbi is not saying I think it's I, I, I agree with you that it's not okay. I still believe, says the rabbi, that I think it's kosher, but just that I understand that I'm a nobody compared to you. He says, Vilnagon, I'm begging you, please come with me. Come with me to eat chicken at your neighbor. And the Vilnagon says, If you are poskining that I need to come and eat chicken soup with you, I will come and I will eat chicken soup with you. Now, remember what this is. This is the Vilnagon, one of the greatest Jews in the last millennia. And he clearly holds that halachically this chicken soup is not okay. But if the Rav of the town poskins that it is okay, that makes the reality. Even if the rabbi tells you, all you min shoe small, while small shoe you min, that the right is left and the left is right, okay. So sure enough, the Vilnagon, and by the way, there's stories like this in the Gemara, there's stories with Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua where they had a dispute about what day was Yom Kippur, and Rabbi Gamliel, who was the Nasi, and because of that he had the power and the authority to determine law, he told Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua, you need to come to me on the day that you believe is Yom Kippur, with your walking stick and your money belt in your, in your, in your hand, so that people recognize we, we cannot have a fractured Torah, we cannot have a world... Where this guy says A, and this person says B, and that person says C, that's a fractured Torah. Hashem wanted the preservation of the Torah. Hashem did not want the Torah to be split off into many hundreds of iterations, and therefore Hashem said, you will follow the rules that are handed down to you by the halachic authority in your area. And we don't argue that. So the Vilna Gon and this rabbi go next door to get some chicken soup. What happens? I'm gonna pause for one second. I gotta get a water. Hold on, one second, guys. My throat is just super dry. Do we have water bottles anywhere? I'll get you a cup. Okay, there's cups in there, already. Thank you so much. Okay, what happened? What happened? what happened? Well, what happened was like this. The Vilnagon and this rabbi come into the house and as soon as they come in, there's a big commotion, all the children, they can't believe it, the rabbi of the town and the Vilna are in their house on a Friday night in the middle of the Shabbos meal and everyone's trying to make room for them and in all the scrambling and scraping of chairs and moving around of things, a candle which was made out of tallow, the way they used to make candles back in the day, was from animal fats. A candle which was made of tallow falls into the chicken soup! At this point, it renders the chicken soup 100% not kosher, according to all opinions. Right? According to all opinions. So the rabbi the rabbi of the town, he turns to the Vilna Goen, he says, I'm so, so sorry. Clearly Hashem was showing that I was wrong in the way I pasken, you know, in, the, in, in the way that I ruled halachically I'm so, so sorry. I apologize, I apologize, I apologize, I apologize. The Vilna God says, no need to apologize. You have every right to pasken. You have every right to rule the way you want to rule. You are the rub of this town. I am not the posak of this town. I am not the halachic authority in this town. That being said, because I personally ruled that it was not okay it was not really a good thing for me to eat. But I would eat it because you are the rub of the town. But Hashem saved me and made it that the candle should fall into the chicken soup. And again, the candle was made out of animal fats, not kosher animal fats. And this way, no one had to eat. The chicken soup was not eaten. And the family had the great honor of having the the, 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 uh, the Vilna Gon in their house. And that's how it worked out. But the amazing thing is that the Vilna Gon was going to eat the chicken soup. Even though he held it wasn't... Kosher, he held you should not eat it, but the halacha is the halacha. Okay. So that's how Nachmanides understands it. How does the Sefer HaKhinuch, we've talked last week, we did the Book of Education. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, She'akon Amen. Uh, okay, last week we did the Book of Education about the mitzvah of taking care of the levi. Again, the Book of Education, the Sefer HaKinuch, was written anonymously in Spain, I believe, in the 1100s. So let's see what he says about this. Um, says the Sefer HaKinuch, that the reason for this mitzvah is because people have very different opinions, and you're never going to have consensus when you have many people arguing about the same thing. You're not going to have consensus. And the good Lord above knew that if the Torah was given over to each person to determine what they think it's going to be. We're going to have 800,000 different, you know, they say the famous like line they say, you know, five Jews in a room and seven opinions. So like, you're going to have you're going to have if you have 13 million Jews alive today, you'll have 17 million different torahs. And therefore, again, says the Minchas Chinuch, the Saver Achinah, Karlisch Baruch who said, "Do not leave what they say to the left or to the right, even if they say that right is left and left is right, you follow their words and it's better that there be one mistake that people end up living through, rather than there be again, it's almost the same language as the uh, as Nachmanides so it's better that we follow one mistake in identi- uh, law, rather than we have a Torah that gets fractured into many parts, but then he adds the story of Tanuro Shalachnai, the serpent oven Let's talk about the serpent oven. There's a very, very famous passage. Hold on, give me one more second. No, that's the wrong one to do. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty, serpent oven. Okay, here's a very famous passage in the Talmud, and it's found, right? Hi, Saffron, did you learn about the serpent oven when you were in rabbinical school? I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. This is a very, very misunderstood uh, passage in the Talmud, but it's important to learn. And the Sefer HaChinuch, the book of education, when uh, explaining this exact mitzvah, goes into the story of Tanuro Shalachnai, the serpent oven. I'm not going to get into the basis of the law. It had to do with an oven that was uh, became ritually impure and then you poked a bunch of big holes in it, and then you filled the holes in, is it still considered ritually impure? Did it, become, did it become pure again by the fact that it was taken apart and lost its status as an oven, or is it still remains its original status of non-pure non, uh, oven? The, the, the Gemara says, This is the oven of the serpent. Ask the Gemara, Why is it called... The coiled serpent says the name of the sages surrounded this oven with their discussions like a coiled snake surrounds a person and they declared it Tameh, they made it ritually impure. Tanah, on that day, so there's was a big debate. Between who? Between Rabbi Eliezer and all the other sages. But also, Yom Rabbi Eliezer, called Shuvah Olam. They were sitting in the base medrash, and they were trying to determine the halachic status of this particular oven. And Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer, who was incredibly brilliant and erudite, he's trying to convince, try to set yourself, try to imagine the picture, okay? You've got a room full of the greatest sages. And Rabbi Eliezer, who might be the brightest of them all, is trying to convince them the halachic status of this oven. It's Tameh, my friends. And he's showing them every possible proof. So he's giving them all kinds of arguments. V'lo kiblu heimenu. But they said, we don't know. We don't accept your opinion. We don't accept your line of reasoning. Okay? We, we're we not going with you. Finally, Rebbe in frustration, gets up. Amar lahem. He said to them, Im halacha charuv If the halacha is like me, this carob tree should prove it. Now remember, carob trees don't bear fruit for their first 70 years. Which means that these are trees that get incredibly, incredibly deep, 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 deep roots. So he gets up and he says, If I am wrong, sorry, if I I am right that this this oven should be tamay, let this carob tree prove it. The carob tree uproots itself and goes for a walk, something not commonly done with carob trees. Usually not done with pine trees or maple trees or willow trees either, right? But the carob tree gets up and goes for a walk. Some people say it went 100 amos, which is about 150, 200 feet. Some people say it went 400 amos. If you can imagine, imagine this scenario, right? You're sitting in the base medrash. You're arguing about the halakha about something. And finally, this, this Rebbe gets up and he says, if I am right, let the carob tree prove me right. And the carob tree calmly, quietly uproots itself from the ground and starts walking and goes and moves 400 feet away. A silence falls upon the study hall. But the rabbis were unconvinced. Amrulo, um, they said to him, Ein mevi'in ra'ya You cannot bring a proof from a carob tree. I don't know where in the Torah it says. The Torah says, you shall follow the majority opinion of the rabbis, of the sages of that time. We are the majority. You, Rabbi Eliezer, are the minority. It does not say in the Torah, follow the majority opinion unless a carob tree proves you wrong. So we're not impressed. Rabbi Eliezer says, okay, if I am right, let this water canal show you that I'm right. Now there's one rule about water. There's a lot of rules about water. It fills the glass, it fills any shape it's in, but One of the most fundamental rules about water is it always flows to the lowest point. The water, which is flowing downstream, suddenly stops, turns around, and starts flowing upstream. Okay? And again, I- I'm sure it must have been an-, an odd silence for a few moments in the base medrash. But after that, the rabbi said to him, Sorry, Rebbe L'Azer, we don't bring proofs from a water canal. Finally he gets up and he says, if I am right that this oven is not pure, let the walls of the base medrash prove that I'm right. And the walls of the base medrash start shaking and they're literally crumbling inward. Could you imagine? The walls of the base medrash are crumbling inward. Okay, get out of the building. Surfside. The walls are coming down. Now Rabbi Yeshua, who was there too, and it was a great sage also, Rabbi Yeshua calls out to the walls. He says, Walls, what are you doing? This is none of your business. We're having a halachic dispute over here. What are you getting involved? Walls? And the walls stop. Mind you, the walls would not go back to their original position because Rabbi Yezer told them to show something. The walls would not continue to crumble inward because Rabbi Yeshua told them to stop. And the walls remained leaning. Those walls remained like the leaning tower of Pisa for the rest of those, those walls' life. They just stood there on, on, a, on a slant, like walls never do. Or almost never do. Finally, Rebel Leazar says, I've I, I got to get God on my side. Chazar v'amor lehem. says, Okay, imhalacha kamosi, if the rule is like me, then, min um, ha let the heavens prove that I'm right. Yatsasa baskov amra. A heavenly voice comes out and says, "Malachem Eitzel Rabbi Liazor, what are you guys arguing with Rabbi Liazor? Shehalacha kamoso b'chol makom, the halacha is like him in all places." So now you've got a voice coming out from heaven telling you stop messing with Rabbi Liazor. He knows the law. Amad Rabbi Yeshua al raglav. Rabbi Yeshua got up on his feet for Amar and he says, "Lo Basham I am he. The Torah is not in heaven. The Torah is on earth. God gave it to us." And when God gave us the Torah, He gave us the rules and laws about how to preserve it. We don't listen to voices from heaven. Heaven is not going to come in here and mess around with telling us how to follow the law because heaven already gave it to us. It's our Torah now. My What does it mean? When He said it's not in heaven. The Torah was already given from Harsinah and was given to humanity anu We do not listen to a heavenly voice. And what happened? Sinai. The Torah already says, in the Torah it says, you shall follow the majority opinion. That is a pusuk in the Torah. In the book of Exodus 23.2, the, the Torah says you should follow the majority opinion, and now you're going to come here and counteract the, the majority opinion with a heavenly voice telling us to follow Rebbe Lezer. No thank you. Now here's the craziest part. If you think that was crazy, that was. But it gets even crazier. Ashkeche Rabbi Nasan Lelio. Rabbi Nasan one time met Elijah the prophet. And by the way, they, they basically kicked Rabbi they, they, they kicked Rebbe out. They gave him a punishment even for consistently not being willing to follow to just to to to, to, to tuck in and follow the law. Meaning they actually punished Rebeliazar because he would not. He was not willing to cede his opinion to the majority opinion. A while later, Rabbi Nassim found Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah the prophet. What exactly was God doing when this whole fight was going on? This fight between the rabbis and Rabbi Yezer, and all these, these miracles, the, 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 the tree walking, the, the, the water flowing backwards upstream, the walls coming down, the heavenly voice coming out. <clears throat> what was God doing during this time? Amar lay, Elijah said back to Rabbi Nasson, he's laughing and he's saying, Nitzchuni banai, banai. He's laughing and he's saying, My children have won, my children have won. What does this mean? Unfortunately, 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 some people take this as a proof that the rabbis can counteract the Torah because that's what God said. Right? Now, let's first understand what it is, because the Sefer HaKinuch, the Book of Education, talks about this right here on this location. And what the Sefer HaKinuch says is that, the answer is that, really, Rebbe Leezer was right. At the end of the day, Rebbe Leezer was right. That oven should have been Tameh, It should have been impure. However, Hashem gave us rules to run His Torah, and Hashem gave us the ability to make a ruling that will sometimes be wrong, and we're still supposed to follow that ruling because the only way we ever have any sense of law and order is if we follow the laws given to us by the sages. It says, what does it mean when Hashem was saying, They they won me? It means since they are my children, are, are using they're using my Torah. And my Torah gave them the rule that you follow the majority opinion. They're using my Torah to win over the truth. And I'm okay with that. This was a test from Hashem. The whole story, this was a drill. You guys heard the fire, you know, fire alarm going off in the beginning of uh, this class. When I, tu- when I tuned in, there was a fire alarm going off. Right? How often do you have a fire drill in schools? Right? In your schools, you have a fire drill all the time. Why do you have fire drills? Because when it's actually a real thing, you got to make sure you get it right. This was a drill. This was a test from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem knows that He told us that we're supposed to follow the majority opinion. That is what Hashem told us. If we would have followed Rabbi Eliezer, who employed all sorts of tricks, incredible, miraculous tricks, water flowing upstream, trees uprooting themselves and moving away, walls crumbling down, voices coming from heaven, if we would have followed the words of Rabbi Eliezer, we would have been making a mistake even though we would have been doing the right, meaning the real halacha should have been, like the said. But we are supposed to follow what the rabbis tell us, because that's the only way the Torah will be preserved throughout the generations. Now, if this is the case, then maybe the reform and conservative rabbis that use this as a proof that they can mess with the Torah, maybe they're right. we have got to follow the majority opinion. There are more Reform and Conservative rabbis today, and they say that you could drive on Shabbos. Okay? Again, we um, the, the 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 Reform and Conservative, Conservative rabbis say you're allowed to drive on Shabbos. So maybe we should say, okay, the, the Orthodox rabbis say no. The Reform and Conservative rabbis say yes. Maybe you should follow the majority opinion, even if they might even be wrong, but you follow the majority opinion. The answer is, who are the ones who get to be considered the... Great Sanhedrin. Who are the ones who get to be considered those who rule down these laws? Only people who maintain the validity of these laws. The Reform and Conservative Movement, the Reform Movement, there are many rabbis in the Reform Movement who are not sure if there is a God of Genesis. Like, they're not sure if this world was created by God, the way the story tells it in Genesis. And most Reform and Conservative rabbis will tell you that they don't believe that there was ever a Sinai experience. There was ever a Sinai, uh, that God gave the Torah on Sinai. So the only people who count in this picture are the rabbis who believe in the Torah. If you don't believe in the Torah, then you don't have any authority to talk about it at all. Rabbi Eliezer and his chaverim and his colleagues, Rabbi Yoshua and, and, and the other great sages of that time, they were all people who were devout. God fearing, who followed the Torah to the letter of the law, did all of the mitzvos. They had a dispute about a halacha, and the answer is we follow the majority opinion. But if you've got a bunch of rabbis who tell you, well, I don't really know if there ever really was a Sinai experience, I don't I don't really I mean there are rabbis, unfortunately, who were reformer conservative rabbis who will tell you that they believe that Moses never existed, that there was never an exodus from Egypt. That's all stories that were written down, mythological stories written down by maybe by Ezra the scribe or whoever it might be. So they don't get to be an authority. If you don't believe in the book, you got no say in the book. Now, mind you, if today you had a dispute, and look look at the story the story of, of the Vilna Gaon that I, t- I said earlier today. What a powerful story! Because here you have the Vilna Gon who was the greatest of the great in his generation, and yet he's saying if the rabbi of this town ruled that this chicken is kosher and he wants me to eat it, I will go and eat it. Just to show. Because that rabbi was a valid rabbi too. He may not have been as smart as the Vilnagon, but the whole idea of this mitzvah is the only way we have preservation of the Torah is if we follow the commandments of the rabbis, even when we don't think they make sense. There are many, many rules that the rabbis have given down regarding Shabbos, regarding all kosher, all kinds of halachas. And the minute we start saying, well, he says like this, but I don't follow that way, then you've lost it. As a matter of fact, all of Halakha, the first, you know, when we talk about Halakha, there's, there's the first sort of major, major source is the the tour. Okay, the tour, the Jewish code of law is called the Shulchan Aruch, okay, which is the set table. The set table is based on a previous work, right, known as the tour, the Arba Turim, the four pillars. Okay, the four pillars were put together by the son of the rush okay, the son of the Rush. And what he did is he took the opinions of three great scholars, Rabbi Yitzhak Alfasi, the Ramban Nachmanides, and his father, the Rush. And whenever there was any dispute in law, he went like the majority of them, often ruling against his father. But that's, that's the way he created the Jewish law. So Jewish law, bottom line, the sanctity and the continuity of Torah is when we follow the sages' teachings, even if it seems wrong to us. And, by the way, they may even sometimes make a mistake, and that's okay, too. We're better off following people who occasionally, as human beings, will make a mistake, but we follow them with absolute, absolute certainty, even though once in a while we'll get something wrong, versus we don't follow them, in which case we're all getting stuff wrong all the time, and the Torah falls apart. So that is a very, very important law, and that's what really brings us to something, you know, there, there's something called Das Torah. Das Torah means I can ask the Torah, so to speak. H- how do I ask the Torah a question? If I take a Chumash, here's a Chumash, right? Torah, please! Uh, should I send my kids to this camp or that camp? Should I send my kids to this seminary or that <coughs> seminary? Nothing. No. You know what you do? You go to the people who spend nights and days, who spend their entire lives poring over these books. You know, and, and you ask them. Recently, I was at a kiddush this past week. I was at a kiddush this past week, and I meet somebody that I had seen. I don't, I'm not sure exactly where I'd run through, run in with him before in the past, but I knew him in the past. I, reckon, I definitely reckon I have a terrible memory, like really, really bad. So I'm pretty decent with remembering faces, but not names or like any kind of connection. So like, I'm like, ah, oh, I, I, I've seen that face before. So I, I knew him for sure, and I asked him, "Hey, how's it going? Whatever he's good." I say, what are you up to? He's like, I'm, I'm in my second year of rabbinical school, like I'm going for uh, smicha, I'm going for you know, ordination. I said, wow, that's beautiful. I said, I said are, you, are you at YU? Because you know he was dressed in a more of like a, like a a YU type of dress, if you know what I'm saying, like a blue shirt on Shabbos. <laughs> not, it's totally fine, <laughs> but most guys who are learning in Brisk and other, you know, and and Mir and, and and Lakewood are not wearing a blue shirt on Shabbos or during the week for that matter. So I said, "Are you at, are you at YU? Because YU has a very you know a very famous smicha program." He says, "No, I go to Yeshiva X. I don't want I'm not going to name it right now." Um, and I said, like, "Okay, I never heard of it really before." So I said, "Oh, I've never heard of that before. Where is it?" He said where it is. It's somewhere in Manhattan. So I, I wasn't really sure. I think he himself then said it's like we're almost like our own denomination, or something, something to that effect. Right? He said we're almost our own denomination. So I, I said I said where are, yeah, I said where do you guys slot in? If like YU is over here, and then there's another yeshiva, is another place that teaches rabbinical students in a place called Cholove. Unfortunately, the rabbinical students are not. Um, bound by the Torah law. They don't follow Torah law. They will counteract Torah law on many, many occasions, mostly in hot-button social issues where they fold to whatever the society at, at the time right now is saying. And they're, unfortunately, they don't hold themselves bound to Torah. So I wanted to get a feel for uh, where this guy's holding. So I, I asked him a certain question about, about what types of marriages the people from his school would perform to determine like, where they're at. So then he tells me, and then he tells me this. I said, what do you mean when you say that in certain ways you're more stringent than Chove Torah, in certain ways you're more lenient? And he says to me, he says that we have egalitarian prayer, right? So men and women praying together in the same synagogue. And he says, my Rosh Hashiva is, uh, is writing a 100-page tshuva, a 100-page responsa, and it's filled with Rishonim and achronim. It's filled with early commentators and late commentators showing that it's okay for men and women to daven in the same room, for women to lead the davening and all that. Now, first of all, I don't care if he's writing an 800-page paper. And I don't care how many people he shoehorns into this paper. The bottom line is the Jewish code of law says explicitly that this is not allowed. I mean, there's, there's not even any debate on this, right? So... <laughs> it's it's very very explicit and and this guy's saying that he he his rabbi is writing a hundred page i don 't don 't care how many pages you write about it. The reality is that that 's not what flies. mind you also the rabbis who are ruling that is not allowed these are rabbis the rabbis in 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 the in the regular mainstream orthodox movement these are rabbis who are usually you know seventy eighty years old, and they 've spent literally. Sixty-five years studying Torah, eighteen hours, sixteen hours a day for sixty-five years. Okay, and then you have somebody who has a degree, got a PhD from Columbia. I'm not saying this rabbi. I don't know what this rabbi has, but he's got a PhD in comparative religions from Columbia, and he's got a a degree from here, and he's got he did all you know, and and he's forty years old, and he's writing a one hundred page document proving that he's right and they're all wrong. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. So the Torah tells you, if you want to know, you have some one rabbi out in the middle of nowhere writing some kind of responsa saying that things that were previously forbidden are now now uh, permitted, you've got to be very, 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 very careful. That's not how Torah gets transmitted. And indeed, by the way, unfortunately, every heterodox movement, every movement that walks away from the Torah, walks away from the rulings of the rabbis, just watches their children leave the fold. That's how it happens. You watch, you, you follow one, any, any one of these movements. Anyone. We call them heterodox movements, the non-orthodox movements. Look at the percentage of children that leave their own communities, right? I always say, like, orthodox, it's not like no one leaves orthodoxy, right? Maybe we have a 5, maybe 7% attrition rate, which is not great, but 5-7%. to Look at people who grew up in all the other movements you know, today more than thirty-five percent of young Jews say we have no religion at all. Nothing. We're not Reform. We're not Conservative. We're not. We're not Reconstructionist. We're, we're nothing. We don't. We don't have religions. For us, Judaism is, is chicken ball soup and matzo ball soup and and, and 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 a good sense of humor. Like Jackie Mason died, he was like a Cohen Guttel of like the of, for many Jew, cultural Jews. So the bottom line is, the Torah says this is how we're going to maintain the Torah. You're going to follow the rabbis. You're going to follow the majority of the rabbis. Which rabbis? The rabbis that attest to and live the validity of the Torah. The rabbis who spent their entire lives studying the Torah. The majority of those rabbis will give you the rules. And if, God forbid, ever they make a mistake, it's better that we follow them and we whatever the consequences of that are but we have a single Torah rather than everybody who wants to write a 100 page paper can create their own Torah their own version of what the Torah is supposed to be Okay, one last idea that I want to share with you on this week's Parsha hold on a second, where was it? one last idea that I want to share, yes very important and the end of this week's Torah portion is a law called Egla Arufa. Okay? It's a very strange rule. It says the following. If you find a dead body, okay, in the middle, stranded, uh, off the side of a road, okay, in the middle of the 75, you find a dead body on the side of the road. On the 75, the 75 is an interstate highway in Michigan. It actually goes all the way down to Florida. So, anyway. It's pretty cool. It actually vertically cuts across the entire United States from, from northern Michigan all the way down to Florida. So you find a dead body on the 75 and we don't know where it's from. So what does it say? The Torah tells you that you have to get together the sages from the surrounding towns and they measure to which town is the body closest. Okay? They determine the body is closest to uh, I don't know, Flint they determine the body is most close to Gaylord, Michigan. Or, you know, uh, any, whatever. Any town along the 75. The Bay City. Okay? They determine it's closest to Owasso. The rabbis of Owasso then need to take an animal, a, a little calf. Excuse me, and they bring it down to a, a barren area. And they, they bring sort of a sacrifice of, the, of this animal. And they say the following statements. The rabbis, after they, they decapitate this this uh, this this um, young calf, and they will answer and they will say, Our hands did not slaughter, this did not spill this blood. and we didn't see it. Okay, we did not see it, and we did not. Uh, our hands, so so we we're, we're not involved in this. Kaper la please Hashem atone the Jewish people that you that you that you uh, redeemed. Al dam naki do not place innocent blood on the hands on our hands. and it will cause an atonement for them. So so what's going on? What's this? Ask the the, 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 the commentators and indeed the Gemara asks, the Medrash asks. Does anybody think that the rabbis were the ones who killed him? What, like the chief rabbi of Owasso, Michigan. Right, You're trying to figure out it's closer. Let's, let's, let's say Cleveland and, and, and Detroit, two major Jewish communities. And you find the body midway in between. And you measure it, it's a little bit closer to Cleveland. right? So the rabbis of Cleveland come out, and they do this whole ceremony, and they say, we didn't kill this person. Does anybody think that the rabbis of Cleveland killed this person? Nobody thinks that for a second. But the answer is, what that means is, is what they 're saying is that we didn 't treat him inappropriately what does inappropriately mean inappropriately Inappropri- in- in- in means here we goes based in Shofri Damheim asks Rashi quoting the Medrash, does it occur to us for a second that the rabbis in Cleveland killed this person We did not see him. And let him leave town without getting food and without accompanying him. Which means, if he came to our city, before he left, we made sure that he had food in his bag and we walked him out of the city. Now, food in his bag, I understand, because if you're afraid maybe he died of starvation, right? Maybe he died of starvation. So, you have to say, no, he had food in his bag. We made sure he didn't. We don't, we don't let people leave our city without having some food. Okay? But what about, what about the walking him out? What's that all about? Right? They say, we didn't have him come to our town and we let him leave without walking him out. What's walking him out going to do for anybody? And the answer is, when you walk somebody out and you treat him like he's important, he feels important. He walks out of the town with his head held high. Because, wow, they just treated me like with such respect. And because of that, other people who see him will have more respect and fear for him. Meaning, there are robbers and bandits out there. There are bad dudes out there who want to hurt people, who want to molest people, who want to rob people. And they have a very, very good way of seeing who's got low self-esteem. Who can we attack? And they're barely going to be able to mount a defense for themselves because they don't even believe in themselves. And that's who they pick on. If we don't walk somebody out of town, if we don't show him respect, then he leaves town, he feels dejected, he feels down and lowly and depressed. And those robbers who are sitting up in the canyon watching as people leave town, look, 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 look." this guy, this guy, this guy's ours. This guy's a sucker. This guy's feeling really bad about himself. We'll be able to overcome him easily. And they pass the looking glass around, they pass the telescope around, all the other bandits look and they all agree, yeah, yeah, that's our guy today. We're going for him. What does this teach us? Rav Henach Leibowitz, Shlita, uh, sorry, Zatzal, Rav Henoch the great Rosh Hashiva of, of uh, Chavetz Chaim, he says what this, what this teaches us is that you can sometimes give somebody more support by verbally acknowledging him and showing him respect than you'd give him by filling his basket with food. <laughs> I, I think this is so important Children are so vulnerable today. Children are so vulnerable. There's, there's just bad people out there, unfortunately. There's child molesters, and there are people who are, are just abusive. The more we build up our children and our grandchildren, the more we build up people to make sure they believe in themselves, we are adding protective layers to them that will determine or can determine whether or not they get molested whether or not they get abused when a parent raises a child and is constantly constantly criticizing them them that is a child that is much more likely to get into an abusive relationship to end up marrying a husband or wife who will do the same to them who will constantly be criticizing them who will constantly be critical of them because that's what this person is used to that's what that's what, that's what that's what they're expecting out of life and People sense that, and and they end up doing that. The more we, the more we build people up. This is like it it, it can't be said enough the importance of being supportive to other people, the importance of making sure that other people feel that you respect them, and that you honor them, and that you love them. When you do that, then they start to respect and honor and love themselves. And they're just literally less susceptible. You know, people take vitamin C, right? They don't want, they want their immune system boosted. So people take, I mean, there's a, a multi, multi-billion dollar industry of, of health supplements. People are taking valerian and people are taking vitamin C and people are taking, you know, thistle w- root or whatever. There's billions of dollars of things to boost immune defense. Immune defense. Go, go right now to your, your local Rite Aid or your CVS. Don't go, but go if you want to next time you're there. Go to the section and look at how many supplements there are for just immune defense. You want to give your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors immune defense? You want to give them the ability to be able to turn back a bully? You want to be able to give them the ability to stop someone from molesting them? You want to give them the ability that they won't be choosed, chosen by sick who look around for those kids that just feel like they're a ripe target because I see that kid has no self-esteem I can get away with hurting him and he won't say anything to his parents because he doesn't believe in himself I can bully this person you want to give kids immune defense tell them the the greatness you see in them tell them how much they're loved and cared about it's, it's unreal the rabbis say we didn't spill this blood what does that mean? If he left our town, we made him feel like a mensch on his way out. We didn't ignore him. We didn't make him feel like he was invisible. Because if we did, we do have blood on our hands. And when a a parent or a teacher is constantly picking on a child and telling them that they're worthless, they have blood on their hands. They have blood on their hands. That child is so much more likely to go through horrific things that other people will take advantage of him. Or that he'll get caught up in all sorts of bad things because he has low self-esteem. You cannot say, my hands did not spill this blood if you constantly, constantly, constantly criticize and criticize and criticize your children or your neighbors or your friends' children or your grandchildren. Be the immune support booster. Give your children, give your grandchildren, give your family immune defense. Build them up. Tell them the beauty you see in them. Tell them the incredibleness you see that they are. Let them walk around proud and tall and confident. And they'll go through life with less people picking on them, with less challenges. It's in our hands. Let's all make sure that we are not the kind of people who can't say, I have no no blood on my hands. Let's make sure we're the people who can say, not only do I not have blood on my hands, but I built up, supported people around me all the time. I always made sure to make everybody else feel good. I told this one he has such a nice tie, and I told that one that his kids are just amazing. I saw them the other day, oh, just constantly. Someone says it's Dvar to Torah, tell them how beautiful it was. Build people up, be immune boosters, immune defense contractors. And in that merit, Hashem should build all of us up and bring the Geula, the final redemption of Meher of Amen. Thank you for coming, and thank you for being awesome.